turn on the old recording device. The world is listening now. Okay. Um, we've been talking about how context matters in the story. And the more we can learn about the context of the verses, the more wisdom we will get from it. Knowing names, knowing places can add to the meaning of the stories. So today we'll be looking at a few stories that are, well, these are like the childhood stories that we learned growing up in Sunday school. We're going to revisit some of them and see if there is something uh, new from them. Samson and Delilah. Remember Samson, the judge, who if he let his hair grow out, he would be super strong. Um, and, well, that's kind of what we take away. Samson was this really strong guy um, who had some very weird and complex things happen in his life. The name Samson. Does anybody know what the name Samson means? It's okay if you don't. I learned this just a couple of years ago. Samson's name means sunlight or light. Okay, we know eventually in Samson's life, one of the stories is uh, he meets this woman named Delilah, who I think is a Philistine woman. May not be quite right on that. Um, and she's not, but she's not a Jew. She's not a Hebrew, and that's forbidden. But he marries her anyway, and... Delilah's name means of the darkness. So already in the names of the story, there is conflict being set up. We already know that there's going to be a clash based on the names given as the story gets started with Samson and Delilah. The light meets the darkness. Now Samson took the Nazarite vow, basically. Now all uh, Hebrews, if you remember this in Exodus 19, they come to Mount Sinai, and part of the covenant was, God says, if you obey everything that I'm telling you, you will be to me a royal priesthood and a holy nation, right? So we are all called to be a part of the priesthood. The Nazarite vow is kind of this higher bar even than the original bar that's being set about being, being priests. Um, one of those uh, tenets of the Nazarite vow is do not drink wine. Interesting thing that comes up here is the Bible tells you where Delilah is from. Now, again, these things, it's easy to look past them because we're not from Israel. We don't speak the language and it happened a long time ago. But where she's from actually applies to the story. She's from the Valley of Sorek, which is Wine Valley. So, as you can see in the story, the names of the people and the places both add, all of those add to the wisdom that God is trying to share with us from the stories. So that's just a quick bit there. Um, we're going to focus on Jericho today. Uh, Jericho is basically an oasis. It's in kind of the southeast part of the country, just north of the Dead Sea. And it's really surrounded by just total desert, very dry. And then as you can see, there's a lot of greenery uh, mixed in uh, here in the city of Jericho, which implies that there's 
source of water underneath. Okay, so some context to Jericho. If you remember, God is going to lead Israel through the wilderness to Canaan, to Israel. Did that light just come on? <laughs> Big stuff happening here. I hope you're listening. Okay, so um, before going into the land, Moses uh, gets 12 spies to check out the land before they go in. And the 12, uh, there's one spy from each tribe, and each spy is kind of a, an elected official, a very respected leader of the tribe. So he sends them in, the 12. They come back to give the report, and 10 of the 12 say this. It does flow with milk and honey. So the promise is right. It really does. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And so these 10 spies sp spread a bad report among the Israelites. Now, two of the 12 hold out, and they say, it is a land flowing with milk and honey, and we should go in and we, can, we should take this. We can do it. That was Joshua and Caleb. Remember this? Of course, Israel believes the 10 instead of the two, and part of the punishment is they must wander in the wilderness for 40 more years. And basically that generation of 20 and older did not get to go in. So we fast forward to the end of the wandering period. Now Joshua is in charge. Joshua was Moses' protege, basically, his disciple. So Joshua also sends in a handful of spies into the land of Canaan. The first city he sends them to, they're on the east side of Israel, the first city he sends them to is Jericho. And they meet a prostitute there in Jericho named Rahab. The people of Jericho, the leaders, are looking for these enemy spies. Rahab hides them. And Rahab says this, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea, what you did to Sihon and Og. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is in heaven above and on the earth below. So we've got a prostitute from a foreign country acknowledging how great and big God is. You can see the problem here. Ten of the twelve looked at the situation and assumed that they couldn't handle it. They looked at the situation and had fear and therefore did not act with boldness. But the situation all along is that the people in the land were scared of the Israelites because they had heard what was going on. Now we, we know, this is, we do this in our own life, right? We look at situations and we're looking at it from a distance, so it's theoretical, and we assume it's gonna be more difficult than we can handle, even though we don't really know what's going on, and we don't trust what God can do, 
more than that, what God has done. Look at this in Exodus 15. The spies should have known that they could have taken this land. In Exodus 15, years before this, after they crossed the Red Sea by the power of God, they're singing in celebration and they say, or they sing, the nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. So they should have remembered what they said before. They could have done it because the people in front of them were already scared. And instead, the spies get scared and, and don't go in and take what was given to them. Yeah. You've been in Jericho. Can you see the people from the east? Can you see, or would you be surprised that on an attack? That I mean, can you see because it's kind I of think I think you can there. see, right? I mean, like it's wide open. Yeah, that's it's pretty wide open. Yeah. Surely you could see far enough. Yeah. I think that might not be good. Right. Okay. So, yeah. So it's not like a. It's not looking around a corner. You can see the town with the walls built up, everything. Okay, so we know the story. They, you know, they walk around the, the city, around the walls every day. On the seventh day, they hit the drums and blow the trumpets. The walls come down. And Rahab, um, who previously had hid the spies in her home, she had said to them before the whole defeat happened, she said... Please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. And they, you know, they defeat the city of Jericho. Rahab is saved. After the victory, Joshua says, Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city at the cost of his firstborn son. He will lay its foundations at the cost of his youngest son. <clears throat> he will set up its gates. So this is the first city that Israel conquers when they come into the promised land. And Joshua says, do not rebuild it. It should never be rebuilt again. Well, an evil king tries to make Jericho great again. Ahab, son of Omri, a horrible king who married Jezebel, uh, starts to lead Israel. This is many, many years later. It says in Ahab's time, Heel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abiram. He set up its <coughs> gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, and in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. Okay, so eventually Jericho is rebuilt again and becomes a city again. So that, that hits the high points, I think, of Jericho in the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, a quick sidebar here, we're going to look at the Sadducees. This helps set the context, I think, all these different pieces. They will come together in the end. Okay, so we're going to take a quick diversion to the Sadducees, who were the priesthood or the Levites. And they took the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They took the Torah 
and only the Torah literally. So don't even interpret it. Don't just take it literally. Also, they didn't uh, see any authority in the books following Deuteronomy. So only the first five books. That's <laughs> it. And don't even interpret it. Take it literally. They were heavily focused on purity, who is clean, who is unclean, and how to stay pure themselves as the priesthood. They worked with Herod and controlled the temple, and therefore they had a lot of power. What you see, and even Josephus talks about this with the Sadducees, they were very wealthy, they had a lot of money, and they used the temple uh, as a place to funnel money to themselves, and they worked hand-in-hand hand with Herod to keep power and keep wealth. And as you know, it's sad you see that they don't believe in the resurrection or they don't believe in angels. Okay, so there's the Sadducees. A quick, maybe helpful way to think about it. The Sadducees at the time of Jesus, mostly bad people. Very bad. If you remember with John the Baptist and his story, his dad, Zechariah, it says he was a righteous priest. Now that's like saying about any of one in you, anyone in here, you're an honest Christian. Well, that's kind of redundant, right? Christian should imply honest. Well, you see that Zechariah is a righteous priest. Why is righteous included? It's because this is the priesthood. They're mostly bad. So you have to clarify that John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was a good one. He's one of the good guys. And he's in the minority. Now on the other side, the Pharisees, mostly good people. Jesus criticizes the minority of them who were hypocrites. Mostly, most of them were very good people though. Okay, so there is the Sadducees. Now, Jericho, many years later, uh, at the time of Jesus, you can see uh, where it is in relation to Jerusalem over there. Uh, 17, it's about 17 miles away along the Jordan River. Um, there's a road that connects Jerusalem and Jericho, and it's on the edge of a cliff. I mean, it's just a straight drop off, and it's only 18 inches wide, so it's really narrow most of the way. So this adds some context to when Jesus gets asked, well, who is my neighbor? Remember, and he launches into a story and he says, a man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He gets attacked. And first, a priest comes along and passes by on the other side. And then a Levite passes by on the other side. Priests and the Levites are Sadducees. And he says they pass by on the other side. It's 18 inches wide. And if there's a body laying on the road, there's no other side to go on, right? It's obviously a very sarcastic comment to pass by on the other side. The priest or the Levite would have had to like pick up their robe and step over the body to try and avoid stepping on this body of the person that was nearly, uh, nearly killed. So... Jericho Road, kind of understanding the Jericho Road, adds some context uh, to the story of the Good Samaritan. Were Pharisees also, were 
No. Most Pharisees, I think, they had full-time jobs, and they kind of did the Pharisee thing on the side. Uh, and they put in a ton of effort and work to know the scripture and follow it. So, so most of them, very good. And kind of led among the people while the Sadducees led over the people is maybe another way to think about it. Okay, so Luke 19, uh, the story of the wee little man, Zacchaeus. Um, so it's what's kind of interesting, I think, about stories that we hear as children in Sunday school is no one really comes along and helps us dive deeper into them to see if there is more wisdom to get from them. So we just kind of stick with the old stories. The story of Zacchaeus, again, all the lessons I think from the story as a kid are very good, but, but also it's a very different story maybe in context than what we heard. So the story we know, this little guy sees Jesus coming, he climbs the tree because he can't look over the tall people and Jesus, you know, walks up and says, hey, come down, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come eat at your house today. Little intrusive, it seems like. I mean, it would be weird if I said, if I just picked one of you out in the room and said, hey, I'm coming to eat lunch at your house today. I would be like, I don't even have groceries. I was going to do that this afternoon after church. But he's Jesus. He's a great rabbi. He can do what he wants. And so he comes into this, uh, to his house, and the way we or the way I heard it growing up, Zacchaeus was take, he was a tax collector, so he's taking too much money from people, he meets Jesus, he changes his ways. That's kind of what we heard growing up. What I would suggest is, or I'm gonna present a different way to kind of, in a sense, stand up for Zacchaeus and help us maybe look at it more in context. Starting with the names again. Zacchaeus means Zaki in Hebrew, which means righteousness or honest. And Jesus' name, Yeshua, means God saves. Again, if names are part of the story, and even God in his word tries to get through to us with every element that he can, the name Zacchaeus already sets us, off, sets us off on a different course of understanding what's going to happen or what is happening here. So Zacchaeus says, Look, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. On one level, I would say it's say Zacchaeus is saying this, test me on this. I'm so confident that I have not cheated anybody out of anything that I'll pay back four times. That's how confident I am that I have treated everybody fairly and honestly. I've lived up to my name. I have been honest. So that's one level. But the second level, which is the more fundamental level, is he says, I'll pay back four times. Again, I don't think that comes out of nowhere. I think Zacchaeus is implying, I know the Torah and, I've fo and I'm following it. 
Whoever steals an ox or sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. My take is Zacchaeus knows the Bible and follows it. And he's saying, if I have mistreated anyone, if I've mishandled any funds, I'll pay back, I'll follow the Torah, I'll pay back four times. Now, what that brings up to me, because I, I learned this fairly recently, I, w I couldn't have told you, I don't, I don't think I could have told you anything in Exodus 22. Zacchaeus knows it, and he can quote it like that. And people in that context are very educated in the Bible, including the Sadducees, including the Pharisees, definitely Jesus, who probably memorized the whole Old Testament, he would have immediately picked up on, and this guy knows his stuff. He listens to God. And he, he's pointing it out. And so what I'm saying is focus on the if. This is not a guy who was bad and changed to good. This is a guy who's good, and he's showing you. He's showing you his cards. Look, I'll, I'll pay back four times if I've cheated anyone. But I'm pretty confident that I haven't. So Jesus responds or says in this conversation, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Sadducees uh, would have heard this and said, We have to kill this man. We hear this. And we think, oh, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Like, that's one of those phrases that sticks out to us that Jesus said. We like it. We agree with it. Sounds good. It sounds like something Jesus would say. You know, he's the Son of God and he's coming to seek and save the lost. Okay, that is all good. That is all true. And again, you're not wrong if that's, that's where you're at. But why do the Sadducees hear this and think we have to kill this man? Some Hebrew scholars... Um, one of the more profound ones who he was actually he's, he was Jewish but he was an incredible scholar on the life of Jesus his view is that this story with Zacchaeus is the spark that sets in motion to the crucifixion this is the story that does it and so that's what we're going to look at why would this story set off the Sadducees who think we have to kill this man. A quick, some context here is that shepherds in Israel uh, are in the Bible. The shepherd is the picture of God leading Israel, God leading the flock, right? So God is the good shepherd that leads his people to quiet waters. He leads them to green pastures. God is the shepherd, but also the leaders of Israel are shepherds. And the original shepherds or leaders were the judges, and then the kings, and now the priesthood. So the Sadducees, the priesthood, are the leaders or the shepherds of Israel. And so Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Rabbis use a technique, it, the, the word is remez, but what they're saying is 
The idea is when a rabbi uses even a word or a small phrase from a verse or a, a total verse, what he's wanting his audience to pick up on is the whole chapter or a paragraph, not just the verse. And if you don't know, again, if you don't know your Bible really well, which means your Old Testament, then you're going to miss some of the message that Jesus is saying. So that's what you have going on here. We're about to see the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is trying to point us to a verse in the Old Testament or a passage. And the Sadducees are going to hear this and go, that's it. We're done, this, done with this rabbi. We need to kill him. He's a threat to us. Ezekiel 34, we're going to hit a few verses in here. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the stray or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock. I will rescue my flock from their mouths. I myself, which is God, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. I will rescue them from all the places they are scattered. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. So it's more than just like Jesus is the son of God and he's going to come and save people. The Sadducees hear this and go, whoa. The Sadducees hear this and go, so we're the, we're the bad shepherds, and you're going to destroy us and come be the shepherd yourself and take over the leadership of this people? The Sadducees see this rabbi from Nazareth as a threat to their position of power and to their wealth. Zacchaeus hears this and hears Jesus saying, yes, you are righteous, you are honest. And even though the Sadducees which had kind of set up a structure in their society of who is clean and unclean, which tax collectors would have been on the unclean category. Jesus comes into his house. He goes to the, he goes to the lost sheep, Zacchaeus, and says, you are clean and I am happy to be with you. Now, I think it's one thing I think some people struggle with is why did Jesus not just say, I am the son of God. That's who I am. Here I am. I'm the son of God. I'm who you've been waiting on. Well, the scriptures, the more you get to know them and the more you understand where Jesus is pointing to this passage, clearly Jesus is pointing to himself as the son of God. He's saying it. I am God and I can say it better through pointing you to Ezekiel than saying it myself. Even Jesus, the Son of God, finds more authority in his words from the Bible than his own words. 
And this is a challenge for us, I think, and for me, you easily want to say your own opinions about things that are important without the Scripture. Even Jesus relies on the Scripture for his authority, not just his own sonship of God. He's saying, I am the Son of God. He's saying it as clearly as you can. But it helps to know Ezekiel 34 to hear it. And to the crowds, I think he's saying, you don't have to live by the artificial divisions that the, the priesthood had set up. You don't, you don't have to, you know, even, even shepherds were considered unclean, actually, in that time period. So Jesus is saying, like, these, these walls, not necessary. And he's breaking them down with the scripture and with his actions and embodying the scripture by coming into Zacchaeus' home. Last slide, and then we'll have a few minutes here to, to discuss it. The first conqueror of Jericho was Joshua, which is named in Hebrew, Yeshua, which means God saves. And I would say Jesus is the second conqueror of Jericho. Again, Yeshua, God saves. Um, walls are built in fear and create unnecessary division. So originally, the pagan city of Jericho, of course, was surrounded by the walls. And then the Sadducees in their day, in their own way, had built up walls and kept some people out and let some people in. Joshua, with the power of God, tears them down the first time. Jesus tears them down the second time. Joshua tears them down with the power of God. Jesus tears them down with humility and compassion. And what's also, I think, very cool about Jericho, uh, the unlikely heroes of Jericho. So Rahab, the harlot, uh, is saved by inviting the Israelites into her home. Zacchaeus, also the unlikely hero, the tax collector, has Jesus into his home. Anyway, I think it's, a pretty, it's, it's pretty fascinating uh, again, how the, the places, the names of people, all these things, the more you learn, it just, it opens your eyes. And for Jews, studying the Bible is worship. It's, it's no different for us. Studying the Bible deeply, continuously, uh, it is worshiping God. Um, the same as worship in church, the same as room in the inn, the same as any other service you do for your family, for your friends, for those who are on the uh, outside of the walls that society has built up today. That's all that I've prepared. So what, is, what does this make you think? What stood out to you? What's, what's different? Or how does this challenge you? Uh, yeah. Shepherd was supposed to be, and you're supposed to bind up 
Yeah, it is a fascinating thing, the other side. When, when you learn that the road was not wide enough to go to the other side, or you'd fall off a cliff, you're like, oh. Right. right. Yeah. Now, uh, a quick point there is the Torah says the priests should not touch a dead body. And the words used for that that Jesus uses in telling that story, um, the guy was basically dead. He was hanging on for life. So in a sense, the priests or the priest and the Levite in that story, the Good Samaritan, they're following the scripture or they're trying to follow the scripture by not touching the dead body. That's an interesting twist, but doesn't negate your point, which is totally right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you, and, and on the back, so, and they're built for fear and segregation. But on the backdrop of that, when you walk through <laughs> Jerusalem, you see every culture and every language under the sun. So, um, didn't work in Germany. I'll let you take whatever you want to take from it and think about it. But it is built for segregation and fear. Right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. You've talked about Jesus relying on the authority of Scripture as he walked amongst the people of Israel. Um, and also the fact that the uh, leaders, the priesthood, had become corrupt. Now, somewhere, of course, as, as these people um, looked at the Torah and they saw all of the types of things that are in the uh, designating what is clean, what is unclean. Where did it happen? Uh, and I don't know what an incident, but how did it happen that they go from trying to be reliant upon the authority of the scriptures and then they become corrupt and create uh, something that's different than what was given to them in scripture? Right. I, yeah, that's a good question. And I don't know all the history of how the Sadducees kind of came to, to all the way to the power that they had and kind of became the mafia that they were, basically. Uh, I would guess that it wasn't an instant, but it happened over time, which is how most, well, that's how a lot of things happen, not all at once, but over time. But yeah, it's... Um, it is, it is sad that they had basically set up society so that they could keep their power. And the irony, too, is that the Sadducees were the ones taking more money than, than they were supposed to. And they were working also with Rome. Whereas Zacchaeus is not taking more money than he should as a Roman tax collector. So that's an interesting irony going on, too, in this story. So, I, I, I'm sorry, that's not answering your question, but I... Well, and I just, and I, I listen to that, and I just wonder, 
inside my own thoughts that are, you know, where do we stand today? Mm -hmm. um, how, how could we be in jeopardy of uh, taking the authority of the scripture, going too far, or disregarding the authority of the scripture? Yeah, right. It's, it is a constant challenge, I think. It, it, yes, it is easy to avoid it and not intentionally avoid the authority or power of it. So yes, I, I, think, I think that's a real challenge of Jesus that we, over, that we overlook because it's just my honest opinion. It's okay if you don't agree with it. We just don't know our Old Testament well enough. I would say the real sad part is not that we don't know it enough, but maybe we just don't care enough to know it because... We easily, I think, use Jesus and Paul as a shortcut around the Old Testament. But when you know the Old Testament, Jesus and Paul really come to life in a very different way. And they speak more directly to you. So, yes, to 100%. Yep. Well, two things. One, what Wayne's here, what I thought I would have said, basically, how do they get this way? But then also, how do we get this way? And I think Mm-hmm. Yep. Anyone else? And both the aspect of keeping people out and keeping ourselves in. There's two things there. All right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, well, I think it is. I, well, yes, <laughs> but, but what I would say is you, there's arguments that, I mean, it's not clear that Samson really lived up to his name in his life. I mean, there's instances, the Nazarite vow, that he broke them all along the way. Um, so, yes, I mean, I think it's, yeah, do you live up, do these people live up to their name? And... I would say my argument is Zacchaeus is, and Jesus justifies him. Why would you make your daughter? Right, yeah. Um, 
So I think, it, yeah, it's definitely interesting to learn more names and what they, what they mean. I mean, Moses means pulled out or dragged out. Well, if you remember, I mean, Moses, he's born, he's pulled out of the water. And then God pulls him out of Egypt to Midian after the murder. And then God pulls him out of Midian back to Egypt to pull Israel out of slavery. So, right. I don't know about known. I don't think it's, I don't think known. But I think for, for, un, for telling the story, there's, it's an element to telling the story that's, again, if you don't, if you don't know the names or don't take time to look at it, you just might miss it. Again, it's not wrong. It's not, it's just, it's an effort I think we should be making because we want to be exposed to any way that the Spirit can get through to us. So in the same, does the name Jericho, because that means either wide place or deep breath, does that then fit the same metaphor here, both topographically mm. in Israel as well as part of the story? In fact, even today in Arabic, Jericho is a nickname for a crying kid. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, and I, I was looking up, I was trying to get more clarity on the name of Jericho and struggled. Some people said it's... Well, there's disagreements. There's disagreements. I've heard fragrance. Words, so yeah. yeah. So, so does that Egypt mean narrow place? Sure. So they would have gone from a narrow place to this Well, place. I, I was listening to this. I was even wondering about this pathway of coming down the mountain from Jerusalem. If this is the first... I don't, I don't know. That's why I was really... Is this the first wide spot where you literally caught your breath before either going back up or coming down? I don't know. Good question. Yeah, I don't know. And that's why I didn't talk about the name Jericho because I couldn't get clarity on it. <laughs> All right. I love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you. Good stuff.